coming up next on the GeoTrack podcast. I would imagine in a place like South Alabama, where you had a lot of fortified roofs, you had a category two hurricane impact, all of a sudden the referrals are probably just taking off, right? Because they're, they're telling their grandma and their aunt, like, hey, get a fortified roof. That's what I had. And I, I, did, I had no storm damage. We had one contractor that three days after Sally had 800 voice messages because everybody was pointing their friends to him and, and he couldn't keep up with the demand from them. Yeah. Here we are in the heart of hurricane season, and it's a great time to reflect on how we can build better to minimize the impacts of intense storms on the build environment. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Hal, host of the GeoTrack podcast. In this episode, we're going to learn about the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, or IBHS, and the innovative work they're doing to find ways we can build better to mitigate storm damage on the build environment. Our guest is Alex Carey. Fortified Market Development Manager at IBHS. You're going to love this episode if you have a passion for building better to minimize the losses from extreme weather or natural disasters on the build environment. If you're new to the podcast, GeoTrek travels the world to find stories about the relationship between people and nature. Our stories investigate the impact of extreme weather, disasters, and hazards on individuals and communities. Our goal is to help you better understand how the world works so you can take actions to make yourself, your family, and your community more resilient from all the extreme favorite podcast platform. Your subscription helps us mark progress, which enables us to make more professional partnerships moving forward and ensures many more episodes of the GeoTrek podcast in the future. Now let's get out there in the storm zone and explore with Alex Carey. We'll learn a lot from her about the impacts of different natural hazards on the built environment. A more formal introduction of this week's guest, Alex Carey is the Fortified Market Development Manager at the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, or IBHS. Providing communities across the Gulf Coast and nationally with a dedicated expert, collaborating with active and potential fortified program participants to bring sustainable and resilient construction practices into vulnerable communities. Alex has worked in the home building industry for over 20 years and is now involved in leadership roles at the local, state, and national level, including as an NAHB national delegate. She also serves on the board of the nonprofit Smart Home America that is helping communities across the country to become stronger and more resilient. Alex is a licensed home builder in Alabama and recently completed construction of her own fortified gold home. Really excited to have you on the podcast, Alex. Thank you for joining us. Very glad to be here. It's great to meet you. Great to be here. Thank you very much. I'm really interested to talk to you. I know our audience will be very interested because they're they're very interested in the impacts of storms and how that relates to the built environment. You have a lot of experience. You know, you're there with IBHS. You're the market development manager, and IBHS is well known for their work in mitigating losses on buildings. But maybe we could start with your backstory. You know, this isn't the first organization you've worked with that works on mitigating losses from natural hazards on the built environment. You've also worked with Habitat for Humanity and Smart Home America. Could you share the backstory about the work that you did with them and then how eventually that led to your work with IBHS? Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, my work with Habitat really started um, after Ivan and Katrina, um, ironically enough. <laughs> Here I find myself all these years later and really fully immersed in the disaster space. Um, but yeah, I started with Habitat um, right around the time that I that just while Hurricane Katrina literally was hitting, I had just come on as construction manager. And we had a huge influx of need after that because there were so many affordable houses that were, you know, damaged or destroyed. 
And so we started, you know, we started building back and I was introduced to Fortified um, just a few years later when, okay. when uh, you know, as things were, were progressing, there was a, a nonprofit that was founded right here in, in Mobile, Alabama, that was, um, that had been looking for ways to sort of stop the cycle of destruction where we, you know, things sure. get destroyed and people are rebuilding the same way. And, and they're sort of like this, this fed up with, with the, with that, that norm. And yeah, the same old losses from every hurricane. That's right. So they found, they found Fortified and, and IBHS and found like, really felt like that was the way that they could make some changes. Um, and that's when I was first introduced to Smart Home and Fortified. And then we ended up doing a demonstration project while I was still at Habitat and used that to, to help educate the surrounding community. Um, and that sort of morphed into my, my, my continued path and, and you know, jumped on board with Smart Home as a board member first and staff member later. Um, and just to back up a minute, when I was first with, uh, was introduced to Fortified at Habitat, I, you know, I really had done a lot of green building. I was sort of always pushing the envelope for, for sure. new technologies and things. And, and when this resilience piece came along and Fortified came along, it was kind of just this absolute no brainer that yeah. this obviously makes the absolute most sense. And especially because we're building for the most vulnerable people when it comes to recovery, it, it just made even more sense because we want to make sure that their homes are their safe places that they're able to come back to. Um, yeah, after sure. Events and, and so it just, um, yeah, just made all sorts of sense. Alex, you mentioned some of these initiatives starting after Hurricane Ivan in 2004 and Katrina in 2005. I've heard a lot of a lot of initiatives starting after those hyperactive years. Do you see sometimes there being more of a motivation for people to get out and start these initiatives after these really, really severe storm years compared to, say, a hurricane season like this year where it's a much more quiet season? Yeah, absolutely. I think immediately after storms is it, we do see a lot of interest because people don't want to. I mean, it's it's kind of twofold. We have some some mindset where people just want to get back in their homes and they're like, let me just get this done as quickly as possible. However, there's if when you have their sort of back to back kind of situations, people get really disaster weary and want to do something different and want to make sure that they don't have to relive those things. And likewise with community leaders, you know, there's a lot of dollars, a lot of community dollars that go into recovery. And, and some communities don't necessarily have, you know, most communities don't have unending coffers of money to do sure. this time again. So I think there's, from a leadership perspective, oftentimes we get communities that are looking for solutions that will prevent that kind of thing from happening. That makes sense. And it sounds like there may be an opportunity post-storm to say, hey, funds are coming in. Let's not only recover from this, but maybe build better for the future. Absolutely. And I think the one thing that, you know, in a year like this, we, we also are very cognizant of something we call disaster amnesia, where people forget that, you know, these types sure. of things do happen. And we get a lot of influx from other parts of the country. People don't really understand or know that there's what their risk is. And so there's, there's always different dynamics. But yeah, certainly storms do wake people up. Yeah, for sure. Alex, could you share a little bit about your role with IBHS and what kind of projects you're working on? Absolutely. So my... Um, my, I'm the Fortified Market Development Manager for IVHS, and with that, I, I do a lot of sort of relationship building, a lot of, of education on Fortified and what that means and what resilient construction is. So really, I engage from anything from roofers and subcontractors on job sites all the way up to the, you know, the higher levels where we, we're, we're engaging with policymakers and, and, and insurance regulators to really just inform them on resilience and, and what Fortified is and how it can how it can help 
all of those groups, really. It sounds like there's quite a big component of that with relationship building. Quite a bit. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, especially on the contractor side, there's a lot of just wanting, you know, education on the technical aspects and then on the policy side, how and community side, you know, I mentioned community leaders and making those decisions. So giving them the tools to be able to, to you know, implement these things on, on the higher level as well. Sure. Alex, we hear so much about IBHS's work in hurricane country, right? The Gulf Coast, even Southeast Atlantic Coast, these places that are potentially going to see these really strong hurricane winds. What about other parts of the country, other parts of the world? What's the geographic scope of the work that IBHS is doing? Are they working with other hazards as well? Sure. So I, I will say first that that wind is wind. So while we do, you know, we're talking a lot hurricane here because I'm I'm in Mobile on the coast and you know you're, you cover a lot of coastal areas, um, but wind is wind. And there's we also know you know historically that people really thought there was nothing you could do for tornadoes, but we we know that there are very there are very much ways that you can really reduce the amount of damage that even tornadic winds do. And in the lower level tornadoes, you know, most tornadoes are lower level. So we know we can really reduce the amount of damage they do and even narrow the path of those really sizable storms that make the headlines as we can, we can narrow the path of damage because not the entire path is that EF4 and 5. So um, wanted to make sure we, we made that clear too, because there's yeah. folks in inland areas that don't really, aren't really aware of that. Alex, I recently saw a presentation that said, okay, if you get an EF4 or EF5 tornado, there might be nothing you can do. But even in those really most severe tornadoes, you get a lot of geographic space on the periphery that are seeing, they're not seeing EF5 winds. They might be seeing EF1 winds or, you know, maybe an 80, 90, 100 mile an hour wind not the 300 plus mile an hour winds. So it sounds like you're saying these lower level tornado winds, there are some things we can do to mitigate against that. That's exactly right. And we can, we can even eliminate the, the EF0, have a significant impact on the EF1 areas of that path. And then even upwards into the, you know, when you get into the higher levels of fortified, you can even, you know, have, have a, a good reduction in the EF3s. So there's, there's definitely ways we can, we can help that. Um, yeah, very interesting. Um, and like you said, wind is wind, whether it's coming from a hurricane in Charleston, South Carolina, or an Oklahoma, an, an Oklahoma tornado, right? It's it's still wind hitting a building. That's right. And um, you mentioned other geographic areas. We also do quite a bit with um, with uh, wildfire. We just recently ha launched a, our wildfire program. And so that's, you know, that's really a, a big deal, as you might imagine, out west as they sort of have this increased the number and severity of wildfires every year. Um, so California is where that is starting, but we have the standard live and, and available to utilize whether or not you actually, you know, go forth with a, with a, design, a designation at the end. But um, so we do a lot of research on that as well. It, it was really a heartbreaking but sobering to see with the mega drought in the Southwest, even Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, a lot of these places saw incredible wildfire years this year, even in the central Texas, where not far from where I live. And it sounds like you're saying there may be ways that we can build better to help mitigate against these fire wildfire losses as well. Yes, there there are. And we, we have some great guidance to, to help homeowners for, with both their existing homes and certainly when they're building um, about decisions they can make, they can make a big difference on, on how their home 
performs. Yeah, you know, and something we believe here at GeoTrack, we can't necessarily stop the wildfires, we can't necessarily stop the hurricanes or the tornadoes, but there are things we can do to get out ahead of it, right? Build better, plan better, so that at least we're not blindsided. And it sounds like y'all are doing that work to kind of saying, what can we do to get out ahead of these hazards and reduce the losses? Yes, that, that is definitely, definitely our mission. We want to reduce, you know, reduce the amount of suffering we see after, you know, you mentioned heartbreak. We, we really want to reduce that as much as possible. And while our programs it was, um, are not proofing anything, to make sure we're clear on that, we're not disaster proofing, but we are, we are really trying to reduce that damage and in, in sure. whenever possible, keep people in their homes or have a, a home to come back to after evacuation. You know, and I love that because sometimes in the climate space, it seems like so many of the stories are about, I don't know if I want to say gloom and doom, but definitely more severe losses, it, it, more severe hazards. And so it, it can really feel a bit discouraging and overwhelming and maybe hopeless. It sounds like you're doing some work to say, okay, there are ways we can build better to put some hope back in these communities. That's right. We're not, we're not helpless. And there are certainly, you know, the science is there and we, we know some really clear ways and, and some of them are quite affordable ways to make a, a difference on, on home performance and, and reducing that, that suffering. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that. And it's really nice to know that you have a, a large geographic footprint that you're out there helping communities in all these different states. Uh, Alex, it is mid-September, historically the heart of hurricane season. This one's been a bit weird. There have not been many storms and the storms that have been have not really made a big impact on at least the mainland of the U.S. But uh, let's talk a little bit about hurricanes and some of these things that IBHS is doing to really reduce the losses from hurricane winds in some of these coastal counties and parishes? Yes. So one of our, one of our larger ways to do that, you know, we do a lot of research and we have a research facility in, in South Carolina where we, we are able to, to subject full scale structures to all kinds of, you know, hurricane winds and water among other things. And um, through that, we've, we've been able to develop um, our fortified program, which is really where the rubber meets the road with a lot of our research. And with the Fortified program, we, we have, you know, there, that's been applied in a lot of coastal communities, a growing number of coastal communities. And, and we've, see, we've actually seen some real world results from that where we've had them impacted by hurricanes and, and had some excellent results as, at the performance of the homes, which, which did exactly as they were, you know, as they were designed to do and applying, applying those, you know, a lot of little things that make a very big difference in, in how they perform. You know, and let's talk about this. Uh, I, I've heard this saying recently that a, a test is worth more than a thousand expert opinions, right? I think one of the really good tests we've seen for IBHS and uh, and Fortified was when Hurricane Sally hit Alabama, uh, really South Alabama and the extreme Western Florida panhandle in September of 2020. And the reason I say that, it, it rapidly intensified into a Cat 2 hurricane. It was moving really slow, but it hit a part of the country, really Baldwin County down there, where there are a lot of Fortified homes per capita, at least compared to other houses. Could you share a little bit about the results from a Cat 2 hurricane hit? How did Baldwin County do? How did the fortified houses do uh, really in that hurricane zone taking a direct hit from Category 2 Sally? Yeah, so I think for those of us that live in hurricane-prone regions, I think when you say Category 2, sometimes there's a little bit of sort of lackadaisical <laughs> approach to even a Cat 2 just because um, we've been through it so many times. The, the challenge and one thing you mentioned that was really unique about Sally is that she, she was very slow moving. So it was it was 
you know, the homes in the path were subjected for many, many hours. I live in Baldwin County and, you know, I think we were in the aisle, eye wall for six or seven hours worth of, of 110, 120 mile per hour wind. So it was really intense for a long time. And that does provide additional stress than maybe a normal storm that would blow sure. through. Um, and we had about 17,000 homes in the path of Sally at the time. And and we had um, less than 100 that had, you know, any kind of real noticeable damage. And, and you know, so, so all of those homes fared incredibly well. Many, many fortified roofs did, did performed as they should. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, no, we're not disaster proofing anything. So folks might have lost some shingles that might have loosened during the storm and sure. blown off. But they did not get that water intrusion that most of the time you would see happen after after roof cover loss. You, you normally a lot of water comes in um, and, and through the roof because of that. And, and those homes fared incredibly well. And we had a lot of roofers and contractors and homeowners just really, really feeling positive about the program and their decision to go with a fortified roof and a fortified home. Yeah, all of a sudden when the hurricane comes knocking on your door and you do not have the damage that your neighbors have, that really makes a huge difference, right? It makes a very big difference, and we had a we actually saw a huge uptick in, in in fortified roofs after that because because of that very fact that we had a lot of neighborhoods where you know either existing neighborhoods where there have been a you know maybe a handful of homeowners that had retrofitted their roofs to fortified, and their you know the rest of their neighbors didn't fare so well, and so they you know and all of a sudden they're like, well, who did your roof? What's your roof? You know, what's on yeah. there? And so then that word spread pretty quickly. So we really, as well as with our, you know, some of the local leadership, we had a lot of, a lot of social media stuff going around from code officials and others spreading the word, you know, if you're building back and you lost your roof, put it on fortified. So made a big difference. Alex, so how did fortified get such a strong footprint there in South Alabama? Like why South Alabama compared to other places that you don't really see fortified as much? So a lot of it had to do with local leadership making some really big decisions. Like I mentioned, after Ivan and Katrina, they're you know trying to to set up of Alabama for for some some better success in the future with with disasters. And so there were some legislative things that were done in the way of incentives. Um, we you know we had a, a grant um, trust that was set up for funding grants in the future way back then. Um, wasn't funded at the time, but they set it up to get it ready. And now we have it funded and there's a lot of grant activity happening here with homeowners getting re-roofs. Um, we also had some legislative incentives for, for insurance where, where folks get discounts for that here. Um, and we have things like tax credits as well. So there was a lot of things done at the top level that really made a difference there. Um, and then we had, um, there were some code officials with, with builder support that actually got the, um, the codes to incorporate some of those fortified elements. And so it was sort of top, top and bottom level where these changes sure. were occurring. And then builders and homeowner, lots of education. There was a lot of education. Alex, when you, when you talk about grants, I think I had heard through the grapevine, not officially, and I'm curious if you can confirm this. I think I heard at one point there was a $10,000 grant where a homeowner could say, I need a new roof. I want to get fortified. It's more expensive, but this $10,000 grant, perhaps through the state, would help offset some of those costs. Is that accurate? Am I saying that correctly? It is, and, and it is Alabama specific, but here in Alabama, there is a $10,000 grant from the uh, homeowners can apply for their, you know, needs to be owner occupied and people can apply and, and um, get that $10,000 grant towards re-roofing to fortify as long as their home, there's some minor prerequisites, um, but that has been extremely successful. And now we have, I think, uh, close to 3,500 homes in coastal Alabama. 
that have been retrofitted with a fortified roof. Wow, that's that's amazing. And and like we said too, seeing a hurricane impact and seeing the reduction in losses, all of a sudden people start saying, well, wait, now if someone did not have a fortified roof going into Sally and they had damage, they might look to their left and look to their right and say, well, why did my neighbors do better than I did? I want a fortified roof too. So I, once you get that critical mass, right, you get enough thousands of people that have them, all of a sudden, I think more people want them. Yes, we we did see quite a bit of that for sure. Um, well, Alex, could so we, you know, it, obviously it's great if we can see the real world uh, um, Im- improve performance out, you know, from a storm in in real life. But often we hurricanes are rare events, tornadoes are rare events. We don't often see them, and so IBHS though is out there innovating every day. And so to do that, um, y'all set up this uh, kind of like a wind laboratory, right, where you could test houses side by side. Could you share a little bit about your your wind facility, where you actually have these turbines and you create your own quote unquote hurricane winds? Yes, it's a, a really it's it's really a one of a kind um, world class facility where we you know we have. 105 fans that are six foot tall that can create winds up to 130 miles per hour. And then we actually, uh, all the, that wind is directed into what is essentially an airplane size, an airplane hangar size space where we can bring in full size structures and subject them to the wind. Um, We can create up to eight inches of rain an hour in that same space to put that into the wind and see how the wind and water interact with the, with the structures. And then we even are able to, um, you know, again, switching from hurricane back to wildfire, we can, we've done a lot of research in the ember, you know, ember and wildfire space where we can put embers into that, into that um, wind stream and, and then see how the embers interact with, with the built environment and various, various components. So it's a, it's a really incredible place and, and very, very unique. And, and it's, it's, we've been able to learn a lot from that, from that real you know, research on, on full-scale structures versus a lot of some of the more component-based things that happen at other research. It's almost like simulating an extreme weather lab, basically, and testing, okay, what happens if we use this kind of shingle instead of that kind of shingle? Or, you know, d- changing whatever building components on the house, right? Absolutely. And we're, we're able to really test the system of a building. And, and instead of just the components, we can we can really apply it in the, as a systems approach. And it, it makes the research that much more valuable, for sure. This is a bit of an off the wall impromptu question. For 14 years, I've been like going into hurricanes when I can. And I have, I've developed storm chasing friends along the way, right? That, uh, and for me, it's not about the adrenaline. It's not about a rush or anything like that. I really want to always, un- anytime I'm in a storm, I'm learning something new about the meteorology. But in recent years, I'm learning more about the impacts. And so I found like some, my favorite place to go is a parking garage right next to houses where I can be up above the floodwater. The wind's just coming through the parking structure, but I can actually video a real house in real time from a hurricane. What if storm chasers are out there and they wanted to document impacts? Is there anything? like that you could recommend they focus on? Like, should they zoom in on shingle performance on just the, the whole roof as a, as a whole or like the corners of the roof more interesting than the, the main part of the roof? I mean, is there anything you could share that would be of use? Like if people do have footage from a real storm? That's a really interesting and great question. Um, so roofs tend to be the absolute first thing to go. And we do a lot of focusing on roofs. Um, one of the more the, the biggest purchaser of shingles in the United States is actually insurance companies because they are constantly replacing roofs. 
Um, and then it's interesting also that you mentioned the edge because a lot of the, the wind pressures, that is exactly where they are at the highest is the edges of roots, um, where the wind pressure can affect and, and sometimes just take out an entire roof structure off because they, you know, they're especially in older structures. Um, and you always, I mean, it seems like we always see that in, in storm footage is, is some roof blowing off down the street, right, in, a, in some sure. of those high wind events. But, but yeah, we do a lot of focusing on, on that specifically. Um, and that can happen even in the lower level events, like, a, you know, even in category one or two, we see, we see a lot, so much roof damage. So do you see cases too, where people have a lot of low, low hanging, low hanging branches that are just like maybe scraping against the roof during the storm or things like that? Is that, is that something that can be a problem as well? Absolutely. We saw a lot. We actually, Sally, because of the intensity of the wind and rain that, that occurred for such a long period of time, there were, that was a very, um, it, it had as much tree damage, if not more than Ivan, which was actually a, a cat three. Um, sure. because of that. So trees are something certainly to pay attention to. And it, it doesn't mean, you know, we, we don't have a lot of tree guidance, but we definitely suggest to homeowners that, you know, they keep, it's not a requirement of the program, but we were, you know, pay attention to whether you have low limbs hanging over your house and, and, and even to the health of the tree. And we've, we've worked with some partners specifically here in Alabama. I know on the ground, just, just, um, for example, Auburn University is a great, a great resource as far as, as, you know, looking at trees and being able to help you determine whether or not they're they should be trimmed or taken out completely. Yeah. And Alex, that's a good point. I mean, you can improve your shingle performance or other structural components, but if you have an 80 foot pine tree come through your house, there's, there's really nothing you can do. Right. So probably good for homeowners to take a look around, especially at hanging limbs or dead trees or anything like that, that uh, you, there's no way you could build against that if you're going to have a massive pine tree coming through your roof. Yeah, that's right. And some of the sort of preliminary claims data we got out of some of our members actually, you know, referenced that specifically is that they they had the, the claims that were on fortified homes, a lot of them were actually tree related because of a tree came, you know, came through the roof or, or somehow damaged the home. So yeah, trees are, are pretty important. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, I wanted to pivot and talk a little bit about hail as well. We did a two-part podcast with Eleanor Kitzman, the former insurance commissioner of Texas and South Carolina, and she made a statement. She said, you know, hail is often this underestimated or underrated hazard because, you know, if there's a hurricane, it's all over the front page of the news. These hail events, they tend to be pockets of the, especially Texas, Oklahoma, some of these Southern Plains areas. If there's a hailstorm that impacts 1,200 houses, that's it might be in a local news somewhere. It's certainly not going to hit national news. And cumulatively, these events will happen most of the days, sometimes in the spring, right? Somewhere is getting big hail. Could you share a little bit about what IBHS is doing for minimizing hail damage? Yes, we do a lot of, as a, that is part of a big part of the roof. And a lot of damage occurs every year, as you mentioned, because of hail. And I think because it's more of maybe a new a nuisance hazard versus a, a life safety hazard, it, it does get a little, a lot less attention unless it's a really sizable hair, hailstone. We just don't, you're right, we don't see that as much in the news. Um, so we do have, a, we, we've done a lot of research specifically on, on shingles as it pertains to hail um, because the, you know, shingles have, there are impact shingles that a lot of folks pay premium dollar for. And in our early research, we discovered that not all impact shingles were performing as they were intended. And so we actually have, have changed the game in a lot of ways when it comes to impact roofing, um, shingles specifically, I should say. 
um, where we've developed our own, you know, the original test for hail for impact shingles was a steel ball. Um, thankfully, that's not what balls from the sky ice balls do, and they make very different damage than steel balls. And so we came up with our own proprietary um, formula for developing hailstones. And originally, we were doing a lot of that by hand in the early days and have since patented our own hail, um, hail producing machine. And, and that is now how we produce hail to, to test shingles. And within that testing, we, we now have a hail rating for shingles. We pull, we pull shingles right off the shelf versus getting them off the factory floor, which makes, also makes a big difference. That's amazing. Alex, so when you talk about impact rating for shingles, is there just like one type of enhanced shingle or are there a bunch of different kinds? I mean, could you explain a little bit about the details with that? So many shingle manufacturers make a impact rated shingle, which they, which is um, the testing is a, a class four rating that they are that they usually will have, and that's what you would look for if you were looking for a impact shingle um, in a hail hail prone region. And with that, that's what I was referring to that just they don't all all perform well. And so with our testing that we've done, pulling those products and and testing them in in our lab. Um, we worked with the manufacturers and they were at the table when it happened and we came out with a rating and some of them failed. Some of the class four that passed the original test, the, the UL test, um, to get that class rating failed, failed our tests. And so a lot of those manufacturers, or not a lot of them, I shouldn't say, but there were manufacturers that went back to the drawing board when their shingle failed and pulled their product off the shelf and came back with a, a better product. So we're really changing the market when it comes to um, to impact shingles. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I like, it seems like you're really going into the details to try to make this as accurate as you can and really kind of test this out so we know what what we can put out there in the real world. Yes, and we do have that that list now that, that has good and, and better ratings on shingles, which is actually what we require for our fortified, impact, um, our fortified hail supplement that you can apply to your house. Um, we have that list of, of products that did pass the test. So, if, you know, we, we're just trying to educate consumers. So if they're going to spend that premium dollar to get an impact shingle, that they're purchasing one that, that should perform um, as intended. Alex, this hailstone machine that launches these hailstones, I, I'm having flashbacks to my high school tennis team when my friends used to turn the ball machine and, and shoot the balls at me at 800 miles an hour. I might have to schedule a therapy session after this to kind of work through that, but it's not about me. <laughs> she itself just makes the hailstones, but our researchers have what is essentially a lot like that. It's a, it's they have a launcher? cannon that they shoot those with. And so they can launch it at the roof, right? Is this in the, in the test facility, the same one where you have the wind turbines or another space? Yeah, we actually, we have a lot of sort of side labs where a lot of that hail research takes place. So they have a booth where they have a, this, this hail cannon set up where they can, you know, be really specific and get into the, you know, they get pretty, um, they're able to really dial in on the details of how they perform that test and what they're recording. And so that's where they take the hailstones and shoot them. Through. Yeah. And I've heard hailstones are different sizes, even different shapes. Some are more smooth, some are more pointy edges. I mean, I'm sure all that has a different impact on your shingle. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And we do, I should mention too, that we do have a, um, a, a team that goes out in the field and, and speaking of storm chasing, they actually do some of this very safely. They go and, and put some instruments out in the path of these storms and they're able to really get data on impact from, from hail. And, and we've got a 3D printer where they can scan and then reprint a lot of these hailstones to really get into the details of how 
you know, how they form and what they oh, look that's like. Super. And again, that fieldwork component, you know, we can do things in a lab and y'all are really advancing this lab work, but then there is something interesting about getting out there in the, in the field. And sometimes what we see in the real world is a little bit different than that. You know, um, this last season I did my first really severe weather chasing and hail was always a big concern. I'd often end up at gas stations. I'd, I'd put my car underneath up by the gas pump. So it's underneath the awning. And then I'd like go into the gas station because I didn't want my car all, all damaged up by hailstones. I think next year, I'm just going to get a beater car. If anyone has a $500 car that like goes from A to B, but that's about it. That's what I'm looking for next year. And I want to, I want to maybe join your team out there in the field. Cause that's really interesting that y'all are out there, like really documenting what's happening in these real events. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty exciting stuff, and I know you know we do a lot of social media posts around that. So I would encourage anybody out there that wants to kind of maybe a weather, any of you weather nerds out there, it's it's pretty cool stuff that they're doing out there. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. You know, you talked a little bit about the work you're doing to reduce hurricane impacts than just the the wind in general in, in much of the plains. We talked about the wildfire mitigation and now hail as well. So, you know, clearly y'all are really addressing these most severe type of extreme weather impacts and trying to mitigate houses for that. I wanted to ask you a last question here. What are the main obstacles you see to people taking steps to better prepare and mitigate their home or their business against damage from storms? I mean, what, what are some of those obstacles and how can we overcome them? I think one of the obstacles is people just being aware of their risk in the first place and really understanding the hazards that, that in the communities that they live. Um, and, and I think it's becoming, people are becoming more aware of that as these disasters continue to increase in frequency and severity where that's becoming, um, I hate to say it, but it's becoming less of a of a problem. But because of they're so they're so frequent, but sure. but that can be one, especially as people are sort of becoming you know moving to different parts of the country these days. And so really understanding your risk first. Um, second, I think that a lot of in a lot of cases they take safety for granted. They take for granted that maybe don't aren't aware of the code or whether the home is built to code or if it is what the code was when sure. it was constructed. And and code doesn't mean your house is is resilient. I think that you know code varies considerably. It's not a uniform adoption, and some states don't even have one. Texas doesn't have a code. Sure, they don't have a sure. Um, neither is Alabama, for that matter. Um, so that's a big one. And and just because it's built a code, um, code's the legally the worst way you can build um, when it comes down to it. So there are ways that you can affect your home and and do things to to both retrofit or build new. Um, that are slightly above code, not very cost, not very you know cost prohibitive. But that can make a big difference on your home's performance. I like what you're talking about, knowing what you're up against, preparing for that, and not just doing the minimum of code. Right? We get take the Gulf Coast. Like you live in one of the fastest growing counties in America, Baldwin County, Alabama. Incredible growth. A lot of people moving down from Chicago, Detroit, these other places that say, "Hey, I'm done shoveling snow. I'm retiring. I want to go to the warm Gulf Coast." they've never been through a hurricane before. They've maybe only visited or vacationed before. And so when they come, they don't really know what they're up against. I, I feel like some of these people fall back on a local code saying like, well, that must be the, the limit to keep me safe. But it sounds like you're saying the code isn't always your safety limit. It might just be a minimum requirement, but we can build above that sometimes to, to really help a lot more. 
And I think that's one of the most important pieces of Fortified. And I should mention that there are places that are doing a great job with code. And, and I will say that coastal Alabama really is one of the better ones. And there are areas of Florida and a lot of coastal areas have done better. Um, and, and we know that code built homes can perform it is more modern building codes. They can perform quite well. Um, but that's not, you know, fortified really levels of playing field can be applied anywhere. And it, it is in many cases just slightly above code. But like I said, it can make a big difference with, with how your home. Hey, we're talking about all these fortified homes in South Alabama. Has it gotten to the point in any communities where there are so many fortified homes that say like realtors get in on this and say, hey, there are enough. There's enough of a fortified footprint that people are asking for fortified homes, that people are aware of it and they want to buy a fortified home. Do we see that happening like in South Alabama? It is happening every day in South Alabama. And, and I, it is. I th it's probably getting harder to, to sell a non-fortified home at this point just because there's so much awareness and, and people are asking for it. And we've had builders that ended up getting on board because they had so many people coming into their sales offices and asking for a fortified, you know, do you build fortified? And, and so it's really, I think the market is absolutely tipped here where that is really more of an expectation at this, at this point than you know, than anything. It's almost becoming the standard of what people just expect compared to, a place, you know, like where I'm at in Texas, it would be really rare at this point still to find a fortified roof. Although everywhere I go, I'm talking about it and people are interested. People know their risk. They, they know they're in a risky place out here where I live, but we're just not seeing the results quite yet that you're having over there in Alabama. Yeah. Well, we've got, like I said, education is the key thing. So we're glad to have you out there doing that because if people don't know about it, obviously they can't apply it. Sure. So. Alex, any last thoughts? You know, if if you were uh, at a barbecue and someone said, "So, what's what's your big picture on resiliency and building better?" and you had a you had a minute to give them an answer, what what would you say? I mean, what are your your last big thoughts on this topic? Well, it's not a big thought, but my first question would be if if you're not if if you're re-roofing anytime soon, please call me. <laughs> That's usually inevitably somebody's either just re-roofed or they're about to re-roof and they're glad to know about fortified because. Um, Really for, for existing homeowners in particular, um, looking for opportunities and ways to just educate yourself on, on fortified and on resilience. And if, you, if you're looking to re-roof anytime soon, please, please go to fortifiedhome.org because that is a great resource and can help you. Um, the other thing I would say too is that there are a lot of contractors out there. If you're not in the Alabama market, there's a lot of contractors out there that do not know about fortified. And we've even had them dissuade people from from applying the standard because they just didn't understand it and didn't want to bother with anything new. So, you know, push that because it's, yeah. it is helpful and you will see results from it. Alex, now, since we're, we touched on other states, so I actually have a good friend of mine as a roofer out here in Texas. I would, I would guess, I mean, I need to, to talk it through with him, but I'd guess he's probably never really gone through intentionally and done the fortified standard. Uh, is, is there, are there ways that roofers or contractors in other states could contact y'all and get training and be like, okay, I want to be fortified certified or something like that. Can other, can people in other states do that and, and get that training that they can take back home? Yes, 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 yes. We have, um, that's one of the, one of the, the silver linings of COVID is that we got all of our trainings online where they didn't used to be. So um, you can fortifiedwise.com. We have all of our trainings. We have roofer training. We have um, training for contractors, which is the full training. And then we also have, we have a need for, for evaluators, which is actually the inspection part. We have a third party verification. It's really important. So anybody out there that might be interested and has a construction background or a building science background, we need more of those guys out there too, that are able to help 
you know, do the inspections throughout the process. So, well, and I could see there being a marketplace in a in a state like Texas where you don't see as many fortified roof. But if for those contractors and those roofers that get out ahead of the curve, all of a sudden they could offer a service that their competitors to their left and right are not offering that. So it, it sets them apart, right? They're not just another roofer. All of a sudden they're a roofer plus, you know, they, they can do some things that their their competition maybe can't. It does, and we have seen that in new markets. The you know there really needs to be a leader that that kind of takes that and and does exactly as you said and sets themselves apart and offers a superior product. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to cost a huge amount. And and those folks really do well um, and are able to better protect their customers. And and ultimately, the customers come back to them again and again because. Um, or refer their friends because the, you know they got that better roof. The next storm comes along, their roof performs better, and now all of a sudden everybody wants. Well, it. that that I would I would imagine in a place like South Alabama where you had a lot of fortified roofs, you had a category two hurricane impact. All of a sudden, the referrals are probably just taking off, right? Because they're they're telling their grandma and their aunt like, hey, get a fortified roof. That's what I had, and I I did I had no storm damage. We had one contractor that three days after Sally had eight hundred voice messages because everybody was pointing their friends to him and and he couldn't keep up with the demand from that yeah that's that's the best advertisement ever the best publicity ever right saying like look what we did works we just had a hurricane and my houses did really well everyone wants i mean that's a great success story alex really appreciate you coming on the podcast really admire the work that y'all are doing there with ibhs and uh hopefully i I really want to see this wind facility and i want to meet up with your hail team out there next spring as well Yeah, I would love to connect you. And thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the GeoTrek podcast. Your insights were amazing, and it's always encouraging to hear about the latest innovations at IBHS. You had so many perspectives that our listeners can apply right away. Something that stood out to me is how you said that fortified builders had hundreds of calls of work to do in South Alabama after Hurricane Sally in 2020. They say a test is more valuable than a thousand expert opinions, and the storms from recent years have revealed the benefit of building better. There's no better advertisement for builders than their homes performing well when tested while neighboring homes are damaged. Alex, thanks so much for coming on the GeoTrek podcast. We wish you a safe hurricane season and look forward to tracking your professional progress in the future. We'll continue the discussion about this topic on our social media page. Go to Facebook group GeoTrek the Community. Come join us for a chat about building better to mitigate storm damage. On behalf of the GeoTrek production and marketing team, this is Dr. Hal signing off until the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast.